And it was that was fully mental. I remember the, the first, nerves of like the, hearing the rapids. The first rapids we came to, I remember you were like on the right side of the river, and you're obviously in this like like the quick part. So you kind of started like getting swept away. I was on the left side, basically stuck in some mud. I think at this time, <laughs> and we went round this corner, and I remember your face. We just saw these rapids and all these rocks coming out of the water. And I got kind of kept to the left, so missed them. And you got swept into them backwards. And we kind of caught eyes. And the sheer panic on your face. God. You were just like, fuck, well, like, what do I do? And I was just like, mate, I, I'm over here. I can't help you. It's every man for himself. <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? And you just hit this rock and got absolutely thrown off the board. Kind of looked at me and they said the answer was, was alcohol. So ladies and gentlemen, the Tempest 2. Tom Caulfield's James Whistle, The Tempest 2. This is the story of The Tempest 2. So yeah, today's episode is episode three of Project Patagonia, our eighth podcast in total. And at the end of the last pod, we just finished the hellacious run uh, on the... Hellacious? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Hellacious? Like, as in like, so... It was like, yeah, like hell. Have a look, because I may have made that up. Very great, bad or overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, I'll say hellacious. that. It was well hellacious. In, in, thank you. Thank Fucking you. absolute countdown. I'm just listening to a dictionary on the drive down here. Is that countdown? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so. Um, but yeah, it was a, a full-on 65k plus 20-odd k back to El Chalten, and we were absolutely battered. Yeah, so... That was a week ago we recorded that. We were in the Grand Plaza last week. Today in my house. What have we been up to this week? Big week. Big week. Yeah, we did a... Um, ah, we attended and spoke at the Google Street View Summit in London, which was yeah. very cool. Um, that product is mental. I never knew... We use it all the time to plan our adventures, but never really knew what it was capable of. And some of the people that spoke... I think we thought, to be honest, it was probably going to be a bit boring. It was seemed very techy, but actually, that thing is mad. What yeah. they're doing there. Yeah, some of the stuff Google Earth and Street View and Maps can do is uh, is actually unbelievable. So much stuff I had no idea about. Like when they were that whole project, they've been photographing like pieces of culture and like art. Yeah. In the most ridiculous kind of clarity to kind of preserve it for, well, forever. And yeah, some of the stuff they do is absolutely mind-blowing. It's actually scary. Yeah. Um, So yeah, we spoke at that. That went down really well. That was actually quite interesting for us because most of our keynotes we deliver are are pretty much the same kind of format. We've kind of got our, got the kind of the slides down and we kind of know how to run it pretty easily but this we only had what 15 minutes which was a challenge and we were talking about how we use street view um in our adventures and patagonia is is was kind of our main example planning the bike ride um and the run and and also the paddleboard which we'll be talking about in this week's episode so that was awesome um 
Mentioned last week about I cricked my neck in the gym. Haven't actually been able to move my head since then. Oh, yeah. You've been well and truly bed-bound. Fucked. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, kind of haven't, haven't had the best week in terms of that, considering we fly out to Yosemite in a week's time from now. But... We got private health insurance this week, actually, didn't we? We did. We finally, not even bit the bullet, but as, you know, masters of our own destiny and working for ourselves, okay. we um, decided to make the leap. And just in the type of stuff that we do, we are regularly getting injured. I think we just thought it was about time we had some sort of private health care, look after ourselves. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you've used it the day after yeah. <laughs> you signed, signed up. up it was like anything wrong with you it's just like no I'm alright <laughs> an hour after signing up it's like I can't move my neck yeah, I'm like, fucking hell so like you wouldn't believe the timing yeah, of this it's like, what a coincidence I've just fallen down the stairs on the phone <laughs> uh, so yeah I've already got my money's worth there um, but what was the main selling point for Vitality was maybe to do with the fact that get a free start the rewards a month. Yeah, the rewards are truly the, the selling point this is totally to the side and maybe cut out, but on the theme of Street View, I was sent something <laughs> pretty soon after <laughs> yes. that I'd, I'd like people to go on a journey of to um, to potentially do. So the whole thing around Street View and the best thing about it at the moment is that anybody can contribute to it. Um, so we are both contributors. We've been doing it all summer, mapping out climbing areas in the UK, around the world, um, so that anyone then can use Street View to, I guess, explore those places as well. Um, and there is a fantastic one at the moment. <laughs> Almost an Easter egg. Yeah. I it just, what just that means. <laughs> But what, what you got to do is just on Google Maps, just search Pussy France. So Pussy is a place in France. Pussy. I'm trying to say it in a slightly different way. Pussy. Um, so you just, just search that on Google Maps. It's kind of central France. And then if you click on the Street View uh, link straight away and you just need to scan to your left and you'll be met with a fantastic surprise so I, I just want to throw that out there and uh, it please is please screenshot and tag us in it please do it is the I mean it's probably not what they had in mind when they set up anyone contributing to it and it seems to have slipped through the net of Google sign off so uh, somehow that is up there so before it gets taken down make sure you check that out it is, it is well well worth a go and a good laugh so right. you're, you're welcome right that's the intro <laughs> that's that done let's bang into episode 3 part 3 of the Project Patagonia what was it it was a world first 100 kilometer stand up paddleboard between the two kind of main glacial lakes in Patagonia. We were going to jump on uh, a pair of uh, stand up paddleboards and go from Lake Viedma down following the La Leona River to Lake Argentino. Uh, it had never been done before. Um, when we were kind of researching it, we were originally going to kayak it actually, weren't, yeah. weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, but we then kind of got on ton- God, God oh, fucking hell I actually feel a bit weird coffee's like yeah a few too many coffees this morning coffee and ibuprofen kind of sent me a bit loopy we spoke to Red Paddleboard who are a British um, sup brand and they were really keen to get involved because they create these uh, inflatable boards which means we could actually transport them down there pump them up and uh, they're pretty easy to get around 
So that was kind of our, our target. How many times have we been on a paddleboard before arriving in Patagonia? Uh, once. Once in the Docklands in East London. Yep. Very representative of Patagonia, actually. <laughs> um, a good training ground. They do say if you ever want to go to Patagonia, the best proving ground for that is actually the Docklands in East London. <laughs> similar kind of landscape, similar wind. And I think the obviously leading into the paddleboard, the run probably wasn't the best preparation. Um, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know how uh, kind of battered we were physically and mentally. Um, and obviously to then go and stand up on a paddleboard with our feet were in in the worst shape uh, of our lives. Our leg muscles were torn to pieces. <laughs> yeah, that so, didn't help with the balance, no, did it? No, so it, was, it wasn't ideal. Um, but yeah, so the Laliona River, to give you some idea of where we were, basically snakes through this absolutely unbelievable area of Patagonia called the Badlands, which is uh, very well known for its kind of Jurassic properties. Paleontologists are kind of drawn there from all over the world because uh, there are huge kind of fossils of dinosaurs. There's petrified forests, which sounds like something out of Harry Potter. <laughs> it truly does, Basically it? means the, the trees have actually fossilised over time. Um and yeah, the scenery is like nothing I've ever seen in my life. It is we're going through canyons. Uh, the landscape is very much kind of like a desert. It used to be a, a, a lake back in Jurassic times. Back in Jurassic times. <laughs> just, back in the day, just the sixty million years. <laughs> yeah, <ago. laughs> yeah. It was. Um, yeah, it was going to be mad, and I think we thought we might. I don't know, not see people, but there'd be some sort of settlements or I don't know something along the way and the morning we left was the last time we saw a car basically um so we put our all I got all our kit loaded up we actually got given these kind of wetsuits we knew that we didn't want to fall in because it was obviously the glacial water and it was really cold like really cold so we knew we we're going to do everything we could to, to stay on but we had these kind of wetsuit materials things that would buy us a bit of time if we did did fall in so we were fully kitted up looked like a pair of seals in um in the wetsuits and some life jackets and we just i guess gingerly just pushed off the side of the um what would you call it River, bank, bank, <laughs> side of the bank, <laughs> river. Pushed off the bank and uh, and on we went. And actually, as we pushed off the bank, <laughs> straight away, my um, fin in the bottom of the board that we had to put on about five minutes beforehand got snagged on the rock. Um, I didn't really notice it at the time, but so within five seconds of pushing off the bank, my fin has dropped to the bottom of the river. So I've got 100 k's ahead of me with no way of steering this fucking 10-foot paddleboard. You're basically on a tea tray. So, so annoying from the get-go. Um, just loaded up. And then we were, we were quite looking forward to, we thought we'd make good speed and it would be really enjoyable because... It was the direction that the wind had been blowing pretty much the two weeks previously. It's the, it's kind of north to south, and we thought with this wind behind us, we're going to be quite quick, and it's going to be relatively easy on the muscles anyway. Um, morning we wake up to get a quite an early start, kind of get out of our tent a little bit confused, and the wind's blowing the complete opposite direction. It was literally we got the boards to the edge of the river. And if you think the river's going north to south, the wind was going north to south. So in our heads, it was going to be, we basically just got to kind of steer the board in the right direction. And then the wind just did a complete 180. 
like literally it was like a comedy sketch we got to the edge and it just went whoop and it was just like that's weird it feels like we've got a headwind and sure enough we had like a 60k headwind and if you can imagine the water's going one way and the wind is going the other and we are on a lilo essentially (laughs) an inflatable paddleboard with loads of bags and kit on so we're just being basically spun around so the board is wanting to go with the river the wind is hitting us and hitting the bags and so we are just being flung from one side of the river to the other we're being thrown into the water and it was oh my god one of the most frustrating feelings I've ever 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 come across because you're just like I just want to fucking go there <laughs> like I just want to go that way and yet we went down half of the first kind of 10k backwards yeah. had no control over what was going on and just- I think this this romantic picture of us like you know cruising through this river like really mastering these boards was totally inaccurate yeah. we were basically sat on our ass soaking wet <laughs> screaming the most like the worst expletives you can imagine just destroying this serene environment and it was it was pretty drastic it was yeah it was it was mad and we had just spent the time before just pl- trying to see where we were going using Google Earth which you can obviously see from above but it doesn't give any details so we're just floating down this river and we've got no idea what's around the corner so sometimes we'd be kind of going down this river getting smashed into the banks getting battered getting thrown in and then it come to a bit of a blind corner and you just hear this like roar starting to get louder and louder and we just knew that there were kind of rapids around the corner that we there was nothing we were going to be able to do we couldn't go around them if they were in one section we were basically at the water and the wind's mercy so every set of rapids that we got sucked into and it was that was fully mental I remember the, the first, nerves of like the, hearing the rapids the first rapids we came to I remember you were like on the right side of the river and you're obviously in this like like the quick part so you kind of started like getting swept away I was on the left side basically stuck in some mud I think at this time <laughs> and we went around this corner and I remember your face we just saw these rapids and all these rocks coming out of the water and I got kind of kept to the left so missed them and you got swept into them backwards and we kind of caught eyes and the sheer panic on your face God. you were just like fuck what, like, what do I do and I was just like mate I, I'm over here I can't help you. It's every man for himself. <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? And you just hit this rock and got absolutely thrown off the board. And your little fucking head pops up. You're like bobbing down. I'm there like, it's like, man overboard, man overboard. It's like, <laughs> no one you, to help who us. Who am I even saying that to? Um, and it just happened every every meander in this river. Something else around the corner would come up. And uh, we had 100k of that. And that first day was was awful just purely because of the wind um it was so frustrating we couldn't really go where we wanted to we were just at the mercy of the the tide or not the tide the current and the the wind the wind is so it is so tiring as well it just battered us yeah it? it felt like it was such a long day and we were i mean we didn't really know how far we were going but we obviously we wanted to do at least 50k on the first day was the plan and I, I, I don't think we got there we'd literally been going till it started to get dark and we were like we've got to kind of bunk up here and we just found a flat piece of land that looked too good to be true um, and just pitched our tent on there so I don't, we definitely hadn't made the progress we wanted to on the first day but I mean 
at that point we were just so glad to be out of the water I and think on, on a bit was, of flat land yeah we, we kind of pitched the tent up and then it kind of dawned on us it was like because for the two weeks prior to this we'd kind of done the bike ride and we dealt with all this, the weather there and, and obviously you know about the run and how kind of punishing that was and finally as, as annoying as the wind and stuff was we, we knew we pretty much had one day left yeah and we, we kind of set up camp we we had food we boiled the jet ball we had a can of wine um, and we kind of sat there and it's those moments like we were in, in the absolute middle of nowhere the one of the most remote places you could possibly imagine we're sat on a couple of paddle boards with an inflatable tent behind us everything's inflatable <laughs> and uh, yeah a couple of inflatable women with yeah, us <laughs> yeah, a couple of dolls <laughs> that's why it was so heavy our packs it was all the KY jelly we brought with us uh, fuck it fuck it inflatable gangbang whoa sorry okay. those lines and we were flirting with it and then you just fucking jumped right over I had to make sure I had to establish the line um, Jesus man right where so we yeah, yeah a lot of inflatable anyway, items yeah. with us and um yeah, you kind of that night we, we could actually reflect on what we'd done and, and, and kind of actually appreciate that we had one day left. And we went to bed, we, we put on a podcast, fell asleep, and then I woke up and desperately needed a piss. So unzipped the, uh, the door of the tent and <laughs> was rudely greeted by just an enormous horse, just had its, <laughs> basically had its head like almost in our tent. So I opened it and it was just like, hello. It was like, ah! Like, Mafia absolute style. panic stations. Because uh, I closed the tent, ignored the piss, and was just like, we were sat there, and we could hear all these kind of like snorts and footsteps. Uh, and the morning came, we basically didn't sleep after that. <laughs> and we were surrounded by like 20 of these horses, these massive wild Patagonian horses. It was like Sweden 2.0 again, yeah. wasn't it? Little horses sniffing around the tent. And uh, we'd obviously encroached on their patch and, and set up tent. And... Uh, yeah, it was just a bit of a rude awakening, but um, quick breakfast inside the tent. Quick breakfast in the tent, and then uh, it was day two. But as as per kind of our routine, uh, you obviously need to go to the toilet in the morning. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And uh, we we didn't have any loo roll with us, did we? <laughs> what, what did you? Why did we have any loo roll for a start? Ah, uh, we're very weight conscious. <laughs> yeah, we could only bring canned wine and KY jelly bites <laughs> and inflatable dolls. <laughs> um, yes. No, we didn't have any paper and, you know, in the wilderness, in nature, nature can call. Um, and it doesn't help when you're waking up every day and having a filter coffee. Yeah. And um, That really moves things along. Yeah, so the only bit of suitable paper we had uh, was indeed money. <laughs> the old currency. It's like Danville's area in that, just wiping your ass with cash. Yeah, it, it did feel, it was pretty baller at the time. Um, but luckily the... You know, the, the money over there is... It's like Monopoly money. So it is, actually, yeah. I used many a note, and it was only worth about 20p. So it's kind of like just going to the toilet at Euston Station. Yeah, that is true. But, um, yeah, that was an interesting experience. Um, and anyway, yeah, so after I'd done the business, I, it was it was on we went, and what we immediately noticed, and it literally made our day, was that the wind had changed overnight, and it was kind of behind us, the sun was shining, and it was kind of teeing us up for what could be the, the perfect day, or the, the great kind of end day that we were hoping for. And, um, and it was, to be fair, we kind of got on these things and yeah we still had the rapids to deal with and didn't know what was around the corner and we still had 50k to go but 
it was made so much more enjoyable by not being blown off our boards and into the bank all the time and that final day was just champagne really yeah it was amazing and it kind of capped the whole thing off perfectly because I think if we'd ended on the day like the, f- the first day on the paddleboard it would have we'd have just been in a bad mood and kind of would have soured it and that final day was the first time I think in the entire adventure where the kind of Patagonia actually gave us a bit of a free pass yeah. and wasn't a dick yeah I'd agree every day before that it kind of tried to stop us in our path and did so most of the time and uh, we cruised that last day and yeah it was an incredible feeling and, and as we got to the mouth of uh, Lake Argentino we kind of dot the boards up and obviously just us again no crowds no finish line just us on the bank and uh, had a high five had a hug and, and sat down and was like fuck it's over like thank God it's over yeah. We oh, the relief that was it the ultimate relief of just being through hell for two weeks and then it like being finished yeah that was that was a relief similar to the row I think yeah just like, and it just even felt more different because we were like putting ourselves through this because we wanted to sort of thing we were, we were testing ourselves whereas the row we were waking up because we were still in the middle of the ocean I this th- was something that was like oh we've got to like we're in a hostel here we've got to get up and go again so yeah like, I think the row they're two very different feelings of relief because the row the relief was that we'd actually just we'd made it yeah across the ocean but life on that boat was very very simple yeah it true. was it was wake up row sleep stretch wake up row sleep stretch whereas Patagonia was the opposite of that yeah it was the stressful thing was did you just click your knee yeah Jesus Christ <laughs> vitality help <laughs> the the Patagonia adventure was obviously physically very stressful but also mentally the logistics of it and the losing the bike and the luggage and having to fly up north and get down there and then set up camp in El Chal 10 and do the run and then f- try and get our bags from there to a different place to start the paddleboard and there was always an obstacle yeah it was there were so many moving parts and so many different things and extraneous variables that could go wrong that at the end of it it was just like oh like thank god yeah that's a good point actually it any like logistically doing those three things is an absolute mission but then doing that in Patagonia in the middle of nowhere is it was just a ball ache it would have been hard in Britain or yeah. like Spain or wherever but like getting all the way to the other side of the world and then doing it in a place that well doesn't even have GPS signal as you know is um, yeah that's probably yeah you're right where a huge part of the relief came so then yeah we, we finished we wait for a taxi on the one road that we have to walk for a little bit and then we wait for a taxi on the one road that crosses um, the river we'd set up a we'd planned that actually didn't we yeah so we there was a button on that fucking spot device that basically would send a text message um, to a predetermined number it, so if you were safe after a day's hiking you could press it and let your family know that you're okay that's kind of the purpose of it and we'd spoken to a local kind of travel agent uh, who knew kind of taxi companies in the area and we said right if we press this button when we're finished could you call a taxi and meet us at this predetermined location on this bridge? So we did that, and obviously we had no idea of knowing if it sent or not, but sure enough, an hour later, 
this little dude in a cab rocked up. He yeah. was just like, hola. I was like, oh, get in there. Old Juano. Juan, you bastard. <laughs> Welcome. Juan shit. <laughs> and then we, yeah, straight in the back, straight to a little... Straight, <laughs> straight in the back. Morning, Juan. Straight in the back. <laughs> yeah, in the back, in the back door. In the back of a taxi, you animal. Oh, I thought you were at the back of Juan. <laughs> oh, no. Jesus, man. <laughs> you got more man. than a bargain for. Jesus, man. <laughs> um, straight in the back of Juan's car, uh, straight into El Calafate, dropped the bags off, and then it was... Stag do. Yeah, we just really went for it. Went to a couple of bars off the bat, and then ended up in the casino. Yeah, so El Calafate, for those of you who haven't been there, which will be all of you, is... Um, I guess it's a quite a substantial town in Patagonia, but it's there's nothing there. No. There's a few restaurants. In the summer, it will get quite busy with tourism, but it's a few restaurants, a few bars. It was out of season, so it was dead. So we went to a couple of bars, had dinner. Um, it's good fun. And then, weirdly, like the main building, it almost looks like it should be the town hall, is this absolutely gigantic casino. Yeah. You walk, we walked in, and it, there was like two people in there. It could probably fit a 1,000 people easy. Oh, God, yeah. And we were like, right, let's go to the casino because everywhere else is shut, like, as you do on a normal night out when you usually get a free breakfast when you're at uni. <laughs> and um, we went in there. We, we went to the ATM, took out as much as we could take out, which I think was like 200 quid. Yeah, had a 200 limit on the Went in, we were a bit, bit pissed, a bit excited, and it was like, 100 on black or whatever. And it literally, two rolls on the roulette, and it was all gone. Yeah. It was like, ah, oh, bugger, kind of <laughs> burst the balloon. So it was I like, think, what should we do? What should I, we do now? I think at this point we were far more pissed than we realised yeah, at the time because yeah. it, it went and we didn't second guess running straight back to the cash point <laughs> to draw out the max again yeah so we got another 200 out and then what happened we went on the ultimate hot streak I've never seen anything like it me neither it was I mean it was like Rain Man not a huge gambling man in Vegas on the tables but this was like even the guys in the casino were like holy shit and we weren't betting huge numbers but we we just weren't losing we came up with a good wad of cash yeah it was it was fucking weird it was like like 10 and then like all on black all we're like picking numbers and the numbers were coming yeah, in we, we're talking like four or five times in a row yeah and there was one the best one was we put a big bet on whatever it was let's say 23 and he was like no it, it, like you lost but then he pushed a huge wad towards us. And because we were quite pissed, we'd left we'd left the previous bet on the table. And that had come in. So we were like, oh, we've lost loads. And then he was like, 11. And it was like, oh, bug in. He was like, you had 11. It was like, oh, <laughs> like 11. Lucky number 11. Oh. It was just fucking madness. It was. And that was part of just no regard for that money whatsoever. It felt like free money. Yeah. After after we won the stake back, it just and we went spent the next twelve hours in El Calafate spending every single penny of that. Yeah, but it also it gave we actually did win quite a lot and it, it gave us a bit of pocket money for the next location of the stag do. Yes, that's very which true. Which was we wrapped up in El Calafate, woke up and it was like, Oh god and we were meant to be there for like three days. Had a video of us getting attacked by a dog oh, yeah. on my phone. Yeah. It was uh... We woke up and it was just like, Oh god and we put a load of it on our Instagram stories and it was like, Oh <laughs> Do we do that? <laughs> Is that stupid? <laughs> and uh, our flight was in three days and we woke up feeling a bit shit and it was like, Oh let's let's change our flight. 
and we were we were flying back to the UK via New York. Classic so we were like, okay, we've got th- get out of it. Yeah, we've got three days till our flight from New York to London. So instead of spending them in El Calafate, it's like let's get up to New York early and have two nights in New York. So we flew up there, checked into the world's worst hotel oh my God. on Times Square. It was absolute bag of shit. Yeah. Penn Hotel. It was dis- <laughs> name them. Yeah. It was disgusting. Um, anyway, arrived in New York, dropped our bags. It was like right, let's, let's see what New York's got to offer. So we went out in New York. Uh, and we were in a bar in I think uh, Chelsea area or Soho something like that having a cocktail and we were sat at the bar and suddenly over our shoulder someone's like oh my god are you British and it's like okay who's this then and we turn around and then we met Bruno (laughs) and Bruno is the most incredible bloke in the world massive Gay panda. It's probably how I'd just, Mexican panda. It's probably how I'd explain him. If anyone's watched Entourage, um, <laughs> Ari Gold's assistant Lloyd is. We call Bruno Lloyd, which I'm not sure he liked very much. I don't think he likes it. But, but he is literally the real world version of Lloyd. <laughs> he's he's as camp as Christmas. Like so flamboyant. Anyway, we met him. He's like, oh, my God, are you guys British? And we're like, hey, mate, yeah, yeah, we're from London. He's like, oh, my God, that's so cute. <laughs> and we then just went on this whirlwind adventure with Bruno, who was like, can I come out with you guys? And it's like, uh, yeah, but what about your friends? And he was at some friend's birthday. He's like, I'll ditch these bitches. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. And we went on this whirlwind tour of New York with, with Bruno. I just called him Lloyd again. Uh, and we were like, mate, what do you do? And he's like, I'm in PR, bitch. And I was like, oh, sick. He's like, yeah, man, I'm pretty senior at Havas. And we we're like, oh, yeah, but like, we're kind of from that background. I worked agency, so we know some people at Havas. Like, what do you do there? And his face kind of sunk. He was like, um, I'm a senior account exec. He's <laughs> like, an account exec? <laughs> you're not a fucking big dog then, are you? You're, you're an absolute coffee bitch. Oh, and uh, this guy... Honestly, he's like a meme. He is. He's absolutely phenomenal company. In hindsight, no wonder he came over to us. Just two lads, probably sat in a gay bar drinking cocktails. <laughs> it's probably is. It's probably absolutely play on. In Both his got world. beards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, but the guy's an absolute legend. Such a champ. So shout out to Bruno. Yeah, absolute hero. Um, so yeah, that was New York. Flew back to London, and again, it was like. Right, what now? What now? And we'd kind of all the way back at, at during the row, we'd taken Tommy's laptop, um, the same one that's still being used now. That's pathetic. Which it? is really rather sad. But um, and the desktop during that time was Yosemite Valley. So we are having a joke on the middle of the row that I imagine if we try and climb El Cap, El Capitan, sorry, which is the big, the big 3,000 foot rock face in Yosemite Valley. And we just laugh it off like, no fucking chance, like, good one. Well, you were like in the, I think it was in the hurricane, we were trying to send some emails or upload some photos to the laptop. And I think it was at that point we said that we were going to try and make the Tempest 2 yeah. full time, wasn't yeah, it? That's it? Yeah, And we were like, oh, what adventures can we do? And, uh, you kind of pointed at the background you're like fucking hell imagine climbing that and we were like <laughs> like never like of course not like not even 
not even on the spectrum. And that was kind of all we said about it. And, well, we sit here today and we are less than a week out from flying to California and spending the whole of October in Yosemite prepping to climb El Cap uh, during the last week, which is... Um, mental, th- yeah, yeah, let's be honest. Mental, but I think a quite a good gauge to show how a mindset can develop and from going from just not even considering it and being like it's nowhere near within our capabilities to being a week out and still thinking that yeah <laughs> but but like we're going into it planning to crush it and we're going to give it a go and we're going to we're going to get to the top somehow but that is kind of a manifestation of, of this mindset that we talk about so often. Yeah, totally. It, it, it's kind of the perfect case study for that that progression. I agree. It's kind of, and it is belief in ourself that is probably ridiculous from the it's outside. A del- there's a delusion of grandeur, for sure. But I think you, you we kind of need that. We, we're like blinded by our own belief that we can do stuff. And so far, it has meant that we've achieved some, some pretty cool things. And this is, it's no different. Even how far we've come since saying that we're going to do it we've been climbing for maybe 16 18 months like trying to learn how to do it um and the fact that yeah we fly out next week to try and climb el cap is is mental and it's not just like another endurance event it's not like putting ourselves in an absolute hole and getting through it this is like a huge amount of skill is required safety like we've got to be more switched on during these five days on the rock than any other five days in our life because we've got each other's lives in our hands it is it is going to be fully mental but yeah I think you're right that's totally a testament to what we well what we chirp on about so often and that's what we, I guess we try and do is actually actually live what we're um, talking about yeah exactly and it's been a hell of a journey to get to this point um, probably the most anxious we've been before yeah an adventure purely because um you know, like the row, you're always going to get to the other side if the ocean lets you. Uh, it might just take a long time. Patagonia is just about pushing through the pain barrier. But this, like when we first told people about this, we were met with a, a huge amount of, not necessarily negativity, but people really questioning if it was a good idea. And I think it's a, a good thing to mention how we kind of how we justify doing these adventures when we come up with the ideas and we basically work on the principle that we try and surround ourselves with the best possible people the people who are experts in their field who know what they're talking about and when we mention the project to normal climbers and I say normal climbers people who rock climb regularly are probably good climbers they all said you're fucking mad like no way you, you should not do this it's really dangerous And then we flew to Denver uh, to do a talk with 1% for the Planet and Google. Yep. And whilst we were at this uh, event, we got to meet uh, Hans Florin, who is a Yosemite legend, held the speed record for years, um, is featured in that Valley Uprising documentary quite heavily. We met Tommy Caldwell, arguably the best mixed climber in the world. And we met Alex Honold, who I'm sure everyone knows is the nutter who just did El Cap with no ropes. And we mentioned it to these guys and their reaction was, yeah, you'll crush it. And 
they were like, you just need to learn how to climb LCAP. You need to be good at systems. You need to train effectively. Don't try and master rock climbing because you can't do it in that time. Instead, try and master what you need to master. Yeah. And as soon as you get that kind of green light from the people in the know, that is that should be all you need because everything else should just be background noise. And you'll always get people telling you you can't do stuff because that's kind of what they they view themselves. They probably have a pretty low ceiling in their own life, therefore they probably apply that to everyone else around them. And as soon as we got that kind of backing from those three people, that was kind of the decision made for us. Um, and, you know, it's still, it's still, we're sat here today looking a month ahead being like, fuck me, this is, this is really, really big time. Yeah, I mean, our plan is a month from today, we will nearly, we will nearly be finished. Yeah. Which is, I mean, <laughs> that is mental. It is. And some days um, I'm properly anxious about it and I question it and I'm worried. I think, I think, well, we learned quite late on after training in climbing gyms for probably a year that it's not actually that relevant and climbing outside is a different sport yeah and then even climbing outside to climbing in Yosemite yeah and, and crack climbing is it kind of a different sport as well exactly and I think we've both had some injuries along the way the, the pressure our bodies have been under climbing has been uh, something totally new yeah and I think trying to push ourselves physically in climbing for like 18 months that's bound to happen mm. we're going to get injured it's a very physical sport I know that the, the best people maybe doesn't look that physical but it is proper taxing on like shoulders yeah your like neck obviously even ankles it's uh yeah it's fully savage so we've obviously had our ups and downs in training as well we've been a bit unlucky in the last probably the last couple of months I think with a couple of injuries obviously my neck's gone again which isn't ideal the weather's been fucking really against us yeah. in the UK and you can't you can't train outside when it's pissing with rain but I think our tactic and it's always been the way is we are fortunate enough to call this a job so we can spend the entire month of October in the valley and I think this is when we're going to really put to the test that purposeful practice yeah for sure of trying to fit in a kind of a huge amount of information into three weeks and if we're effective and we do it properly we can retain that information rather than I mean we did roping courses a year ago learning how to do stuff that will do big walling that I mean I can't even remember the bloke's name who we did it with let alone what he told us so I think by doing it all in one block before the climb it's going to be fresh it's going to be relevant it's going to be kind of natural and I firmly believe that we can we can get to a point where we can stand at the bottom of our cap and be like okay let's do it yeah looking forward to this yeah, and sure. um, it's going to be a hell of a month living in a van um, proper dirtbag style just being immersed in climbing um, and yeah I mean hopefully we'll be back in November with well some absolute tales yeah it's, it's going to be it's going to be an experience yeah I mean the, the cool thing is the next four podcasts probably will all be we're going to try and keep it up the signal and internet over there is, is pretty shit but we'll be recording and kind of trying to do it every monday as per so um yeah kind of keep tuned in as we'll be instead of looking back on adventures we'll be 
live and in the moment and actually looking ahead for the first couple of podcasts at least um kind of sharing our progress what we've learned it seems like there's all the pros are over there as well so we're going to try and meet a couple of those guys and yeah see what we can learn when we're out there so yeah it'll be exciting next few weeks for sure nice cool um any any questions right head to a question corner let me just check i think we've got a couple um there's one on instagram Okay, yeah, should we do do that one quickly? That is a question I cannot repeat. Um, right, fucking awful. What about this one? <laughs> if you could be any animal for your attempt up L Cap, what would it be and why? That's from Chris Wood. What would you be? What am What animal would aminal. I be? What animal? Animal. What's the ultimate climber? Probably one be. of those. Um, oh, what are they called? Is it an onyx? I don't know. You've the gone little, the little mountain goats. Oh right, you know yeah, in the memes mental. where they're basically standing on like <laughs> the wall. walls of a dam. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that's vertical. I'd be one of those little bad boys. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, what would you be? Uh, probably <laughs> an eagle. Just get get myself up there. Um, good question though. Good question. It's cheating a bit, isn't it? Being a different animal. Yeah, and slightly unrealistic because maybe a um, what would just be like ridiculous. Maybe like a a worm. Would that get up there quite easily? No, I don't think so. I think so. And at the end of it, you're like, I've done it. I oh, fuck, I'm a worm. <laughs> you've I've, got to live with that. Oh my god, you can cut me in half and I'll you, still live. You've got, <laughs> you've got to live with that decision. That's true. You're right. Not a worm. Okay. Um, I've actually been getting a bit of grief for not shouting out people's names when we do the questions. Right. So I think people are doing this just to boost their own profile. So maybe we should start doing that. So who was that from? That was from Chris Wood. Chris Wood. Nice one, Chris. Not the golfer. Not the golfer. No, no, <laughs> Not no. the PGA pro. Uh, okay. Next question from Lance Woodbridge. Lance. Old Lancey boy. Okay. Um, with the success of the Tempest 2 and such courageous individuals behind each project, he's I. taking a piss. You legends. <laughs> Cheers, Lance. I'd like to spin it the other way around and talk about failures, which no doubt some people who are listening can relate to also. Wow. Tell us your thoughts on the most common reasons for people failing or giving up and what best practices they can put in place to succeed again. Good question. What Hell is the most question. common reason for people failing or giving up? I mean, mm. giving up is just not wanting it enough, I think. Not having the, the right why, maybe. Yeah, not, not being motivated properly. Giving up is, yeah, uh, the easy thing to do a lot of times, isn't it? Yeah, I think... Usually um, giving up follows a failure of some sort. It obviously depends in what context we're looking at, whether it's on an adventure or it's just setting a goal to lose weight or exercise more. But I think... Uh, I think a lot of people, let's say they want to lose weight, go to the gym more. A lot of people have this idea that, okay, I'm going to go to the gym for four weeks and then the four weeks go by and they step on the scales or whatever it is, whatever success is, nothing's I've happened. Gone up a stone. Yeah. And people see that and they're like, oh, well, f- fuck that. I'm What's not doing this anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, they kind of get put off by there not being instant gratification. We obviously live the day and age where everything is on demand you require instant gratification to justify any decision yeah and when you don't see that you kind of it just fades out um 
So I think consistency in anything is is so so key. Yeah. Building it into a routine and and being consistent with it, otherwise you don't see any results. Yeah. Um, time is is always the big excuse, isn't it? I haven't got the time. Yeah. It's total bullshit. Everyone has, like, you look at people who are the most successful entrepreneurs or sportsmen in the world, and they seem to do a huge amount, but they have twenty four hours like anyone else does. And when people are, I just don't have the time to do that. Horseshit. Yeah. You you do get up earlier or go to bed later or carve out some time. Um, but that that is always the big one, isn't it? I yeah. Got, I haven't got the time. I think failure is seen as like the the finish of something, but it's it's always just the, the part of it. If I mean weight loss, for example, you might even if you achieve the goal of weight loss, a week later you could have put that weight back on. And failures is exactly the same. If you've not achieved that weight loss that you want, so do you like? It's it's just part of the journey. Like, and for us, it we wouldn't be able to do any of the things that we've done without failing ten times the amount that we actually succeed. This climb, a classic example of that. We are aiming to succeed once in the climb of El Cap, but pretty much every time, or ninety percent of the time, we go climbing. We are going there to fail, basically. Yeah. And that, that's where we're actually learning how to succeed is by failing in doing it. So I think putting a, a time on or having a failure of being a, the finish isn't the right way to frame it. You have to fall or like prioritise the process rather than the results because a lot of the time, even when you finish something, it's just part of a bigger picture. Yeah, good question though. Great question. Uh Next and final question from James Treadgold. When seeking your next adventure, what is the thing that attracts you and how do you find a motiva- motivation for that attraction? Uh, so how do we come up with adventures? Like what, what makes adventures stick? What goes, what, why do some ideas get pushed to the side? Why do we stick on some? Um, it's, it's interesting, actually. We, we spoke, this is kind of a similar question we got asked at a talk we gave last week. Um, and I think it comes down to we get asked all the time oh, when are you doing Everest because Everest is the highest mountain it's seen as a, a bit of a badge of honour and adventure and it's an amazing achievement but for us it's, it's not even on our radar because no. it doesn't fit our criteria and I think our criteria is something that when we tell people they're like wow that's that's awesome basically Yeah. and we, we've got to look at it and be like that is going to be absolutely epic yeah and for us something like Everest even though it is the highest mountain it doesn't look epic no the queues and all that kind of stuff can't be asked to go on about it but it it doesn't fit that criteria and I think when we sit down and we after LCAP we'll we'll kind of go into planning our next thing and we'll sit down and we'll make a list and the one that will prevail will be the thing that we think is going to be A the most enjoyable or not enjoyable most rewarding to do yeah be the most rewarding for other people to watch and follow and see commercially what a brand's going to want to get on board with yeah and that's something that we do have to bear in mind because this gets fund funded by companies a company isn't going to give us a tenner to go and do something like Everest because it's been done so there needs to be a factor of originality around it as well I think that is what what appeals to us as well is the fact that it has to be original to us which it, it, like everything is new to us that we do it and it has to be unique like the, the challenge so 
I'm pretty sure the next thing we do will be something we've never done before and we kind of both have to agree that it'll be rewarding in some sense so yeah, it doesn't have to be endurance or exactly and our metrics aren't the highest the fastest the longest no, because exactly. we're, we're not in that bracket of athlete so to say it's we're never going to get a world record for being the fastest anything even though we, we hold the world record for the Wemmel circuit yeah but if anyone who was a remotely good trail runner went down there they would oh, smash shit it. all over that time yeah. we like, found a loophole <laughs> yeah yeah because no one had ever done it basically yeah. but that um, came from us looking at it and trying to do something original. yeah original exactly uh, and everything we do we want we want people to look at it and be like oh wow that's that's new so same thing like if we we're going to do the north or the south pole doing that in the conventional way doesn't interest us yeah a it looks shit and boring b my god it's going to be a boring bit of content because it's the same view but if we were going to do it we'd figure out a way of doing it in a cool way yeah and i think it sticks when we start learning we have to enjoy the learning curve yeah. and be challenged by it so even with the training for patagonia yeah it, it was it was brutal but they're all things that we're relatively new to and then the climb has been a learning curve the whole time so we we definitely enjoy that acquisition of like a new skill or like subjecting ourselves to something totally new so it'll be yeah i mean it'll be very interesting for what we do afterwards we've uh, had a couple of conversations haven't we but nothing yeah. nothing concrete yet we get this one out of the way first. Yeah, exactly. Before we start planning the next one, we might have perished. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, awesome. Well, I think that's um, that's a wrap on that one. Yeah, and it's I can't believe I'm saying this, but the next time you hear from us, we'll be broadcasting from Yosemite Valley in California inside a van um, <laughs> with a nappy on. Permanent <laughs> nappy. Fucking absolute shit nappy committee. Um, <laughs> oh god. Oh, that's all good, guys. Thanks for thanks for listening, and um, yeah, we'll chat to you next week. In the meantime, please subscribe, tell your friends, share any reviews, and send over any questions. I think this next adventure is probably one we've had most questions about. People want to know where we're sleeping, what we do to protect ourselves, what challenges we're facing there. So, any questions on climbing a three thousand foot face of granite? fire them over and uh, we'll do our best to answer them but thanks for listening guys cheers guys